0: everyone to the first ever attorney well-being podcast with the New York State Bar Association. My name is Libby Carino. I'm an attorney up in Saratoga Springs, New York, and I'm joined by my co-host for this series, Dr. Carrie O'Hara, a clinical psychologist uh, in practice and private practice also up in Saratoga Springs, New York. Hi Dr. Carrie. Hello Libby, good to see you. Good to see you. So we are coming to our um, <clears throat> to our first podcast uh, in the midst of the COVID nineteen um, shutdown, and we are currently hosting the Attorney Wellbeing Roundtable every Thursday at four. And when we first were working to put the podcast together, none of those things were um, were present um, and and affecting our lives as they are right now, and so we are uh, recording at a time when we know our fellow lawyers are going to be affected by this still. And so um, it's caused Carrie and I to go back to the drawing board. We've been uh, traveling around the state and talking with lawyers for the better part of three years, some I think maybe even longer, uh, about uh, this public health um, agenda for attorneys coming on the heels of the ABA National Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing report that was issued in August of 2017, which really became the harbinger of what is um, the status of law and lawyers um, as it relates to their own self-care and well-being. And I just wanted to ask Dr. Carey if that's how you see it as well, and just you know, what your experience has been teaching with this and also confronting COVID-19 in this space right now.
1: Yes, I, I, you know, sort of anecdotally, I had uh, treated so many lawyers uh, in my practice. And so I had learned through their stories, through what they have lived through, Uh, some of the cultural aspects of law school and um, being in a a highly uh, demanding profession. Uh, Libby, you and I really just converged on this issue and so on. And when I read the Krieger article, um, it was so striking to me, just to hear it in, in such an aggregate like that, the, the, uh, the cultural piece, the uh, stress that folks are under, and the culmination of all of that into such a um, serious uh, problem with depression, anxiety, substance abuse, that I am so glad we have converged
0: to be able to, to work on this. Well, I thank you always uh, for being willing to be with me on this journey. I myself have worked um, with the most wonderful people at the New York State Bar Association over the years, uh, working to form the Attorney Wellbeing Subcommittee uh, inside the Law Practice Management um, Committee, and working with uh, Marion Rice and Stacey Whiteley and so many other wonderful people who, who really did get behind this initiative, and when uh, and so you know when you and I have had the opportunity, Dr. Carey, to talk about things like uh, attorney well-being and vicarious trauma and cultural barriers for change and all the things that we've been invited around the state to discuss, I wanted to say I have been and I think you have too, incredibly moved by yeah. in the vulnerability and the resiliency and the brilliance of lawyers. I just, I'm astounded at um, that. I am amazed and astounded still every day uh, how, uh, what a beautiful, beautiful um, profession we really have. And also um, this COVID-19 being reminded of how public service oriented lawyers are in their hearts. And that this is a vocation, it's a calling, not a job. And, And it calls to us to do everything we possibly can to support um, lawyers living long lives, healthy, well, and resilient, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and
1: and you know to try to again find the silver lining in this. Uh, the hope being that although this is coming out during COVID, that people have a little more time, and quite possibly uh, additional internal motivation. Address well-being issues. I mean, I'm concerned about the profession when at baseline uh the rates, you know, and the comorbidities of these really serious uh conditions are present, coupled with such a earth-shattering kind of situation with social isolation and unable to do the job the way you used to. My hope is that that. That combination, although incredibly difficult, will lead people to actually, real- we have to do something.
0: So, and I, and I completely agree. So the, the moral um, of the story before we really jump into some of the more technical pieces is you aren't alone and that we are all going through this together. And I myself could not pick a better profession to be a part of right now. So for those of you who are in this with me, I say thank you. So I'll just start with the, uh, the sentence that really captured my attention in the 2017 National Task Force report, which is available online. Um, it's a lengthy report, I will share that, but it has a terrific executive summary. So if you're looking for what the high level takeaways were in that report, uh, please do pick it up. But the sentence that caught my attention was, to be a good lawyer, one has to be a healthy lawyer. Sadly, our profession is falling short when it comes to well-being. Studies reveal that too many lawyers and law students experience chronic stress and high rates of depression and substance abuse. The current state of lawyer's health cannot be oh, cannot support a profession dedicated to client service and dependent on the public trust. And the takeaway from that is really, from the empirical standpoint, there's a number of studies uh, that have come out that have indicated that lawyers do experience um, both uh, higher rates than the general population and higher rates among other professions
1: mm-hmm.
0: of substance abuse, depression, anxiety, um, and and other types of what I think Dr. Carey calls suboptimal psychology, things that are indicating less than optimal well-being. Um, and those numbers are, um, they're staggering. Uh, to look at and what caught, uh, so, so as I won't talk for Dr. Carey. I'll let her, her weigh in, but, but she has obviously vast decades of experience of dealing with people in those types of crises and in those, and in those statistics, so to speak. Um, but what we were more interested in was the why. Why is this happening? What is the reason that, what, is, what, is, what are the factors that are being brought to bear to create this sort of perfect storm? And in 2018, uh, Carrie and I authored an article for the New York State Bar Association called Attorney Wellness, um, The Science of Stress and the Road to Wellbeing. And and in it, we came to some conclusions at least about what we saw um, for the profession. And that's why we're here today. So our our first podcast in this series is to walk walk you all through um, what we could see from the data, Um, both from a legal perspective, which is me having lived as an associate and uh, a junior partner and a partner and now a general counsel for a company. So um, I've been in a DA's office. I've sort of uh, run the gamut of of experiences uh, with respect to practice, so my practical experience, joined with Dr. Carey's clinical experience in treating lawyers for years and professionals for years. So the place that we'll start is um Does the role of lawyer naturally by the nature of what we do affect well being and as we as we toured around and talked and, and did some did all of our research and reading, one of the outcomes of that was something called anticipatory anxiety, and the first place that we stopped on our tour of this issue was was the fact that. Kerri noted in a conversation with me at one point, she says, I'm astounded because the very thing that I train my patients to stop doing is the training lawyers are getting in law school. So they're actually training lawyers into suboptimal psychology. And I will let Dr. Carry talk about being trained to worry and the high negative arousal rates and the pessimism that goes into anticipatory anxiety.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as as Libby, you and I have have talked, and and so many lawyers have talked to me about their training and certainly the Krieger article, Um, and of course this is coming from a non-lawyer, but the understanding of that part of what you are trained to do is um, that in every decision that is made, your brain... Uh, sort of goes into this what we call in psychology a metacognitive space where you can kind of look down at yourself and think about your own process of thinking and through that for every decision a lawyer is taught to think through every possible case scenario that could pull the rug out from underneath you anything that could go wrong etc etc and you know, other things are, are possibly mind reading, which is another uh, cognitive pattern we look for where lawyers are sort of taught to anticipate what the other person is going to say, what their rebuttal might be, how you're going to respond to it, etc. cetera. So thought patterns like that um, are a beeline towards depression, anxiety, And relational problems. So when I have a patient who comes to see me and they are depressed or they are highly anxious, one of the first things that we do is to sit down and take a look at their thinking patterns that immediately cause the emotional distress. And they are what you unfortunately are trained into as a lawyer. They are perfectionism. They are anticipatory anxiety or constantly look at looking at what could go wrong. It's the mind reading of always kind of looking for uh, the hole in the other person's argument and how you're going to rebuke their, you know, what they're saying. And so that's what we go for to
0: untrain. (laughs) And I remember the first time that we talked about this and the light bulbs started going off in my brain. And I thought, I had this instant sense of panic, like, well, what else would I do? That's my job. That's to be successful. And you said something that was brilliant, which was, yes, this. now you're thinking in extremes again, Livy. This is not all one thing or another. It's when the anticipatory anxiety becomes a way of life and can't be turned off, so that we take this amazing creative power that lawyers have, this unbelievable imagination. I know you called it the, the metacognition yes. Think of it as just the ability to run the maze in your brain in real time, in 3D, and find out where all the trapdoors are. And if you think about that happening inside the nervous system, that's what lawyers are doing all the, all time. the time. And then we, in our personal lives, we can turn that in against ourselves. And so our personal lives become affected by this anticipatory anxiety, as well. And I, and, and I know I've heard you mention a couple of times the Krieger report, and that's the uh, Larry Krieger's um, empirical study that was done called What Makes Lawyers Happy? And it was published in the George Washington Law Review, I believe in 2016. <clears throat> and his findings, uh, along with his uh, partner uh, in that report, who was a clinical psychologist as well, um, was looking at uh, the largest study of lawyers ever, and what their relationship was with well-being, and and so um, and the other report that I know we stumbled upon early was the 1990 Johns Hopkins report that found, and it was actually updated later and uh, a few years later with no change, that lawyers is the only lawyers represent the only population that doesn't believe that the future will be better than the past. <laughs> so we have this inborn in <laughs> pessimism and thinking about what that does to lawyers over time, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things uh, in um, down the road and future things is we are talking about resiliency. Uh, and that is one of the factors we want to build in people um, is uh, attitude and an internal perspective of optimism is essential for both organizational, firm, and intrapersonal uh, resiliency. And and Libby, you, you nailed it completely in that um, you need those skills and strategies and those ways of anticipating what could go wrong. Um, <clears throat> and even things like Um, dispassionate logic right to be a good lawyer and to be highly effective at your job but the real trick then is when do I stop being a lawyer and how do I transition from being a lawyer to being a spouse and a parent and a friend and what's appropriate in one realm may be very detrimental in another
0: so it is about, and I, loved, I love all the times that we've had uh, in talking about this, not only personally, but, but in our workshops and in our presentations about the idea that it's a both and, it's not an either or. It is the ability to both um, utilize that amazing skill of, of, of looking at the future and protecting clients along with teaching lawyer skills for resiliency and for a positive outlook. And as you mentioned, for that transition between work and and personal life, we just don't get that training, but we could. And I think that's something, um, that's uh, part of what our call to to action is. And so just to to talk for a few more minutes about some of the other things that we found. So our first stop was anticipatory anxiety. Our next stop on our, our tour was to find the high burnout rates and that what we noticed was the record high levels of stress um, really centering around four areas that we won't, I don't know, we, I know we won't have time to dig into today, but hopefully in, a, in future ser- series, that really center around Larry Krieger's work um, was revenue. Um, so lawyers being responsible for certain revenue requirements the management of the firm in one aspect or another, whether you're a supervisor or a, or you're responsible for the HR departments or all the other aspects of running a practice, relationships with clients or colleagues or others in the in an adversarial system, and then last is responsibility for case outcome or that that relationship with um, having an unhealthy amount of belief in your own control or your own power. And that when those four things taken together, they burn a person out over time, right?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the things um, that I find that lawyers uh, are trained into doing this uh, and uh, can become very problematic is something in psychology that we call the fundamental attribution error and essentially what that means is that when you fail quote unquote you know or you don't get the outcome uh that you would like uh, a lawyer will often blame it on internal stable and global characteristics of who they are as a human being and as a lawyer so i'm not that intelligent you know uh, I, I don't carry myself well. I shouldn't be in this profession. I, but the big one is I missed something. Yes, I missed something. You know, I should have been able to manage this. But and the- then, yes, exactly. And when there's successes, it actually reverses itself. And instead of taking the kudos, which would be the equal and opposite of this, it's then gets um, sort of... Um, the success w- is then attributed to the environment. It was just a fluke, like I, I, something just happened. And so you never get the internal sort of stability and self-confidence and always feel that struggle
0: of, of self-doubt. And that becomes, as you've talked about many times, and we'll, we can talk about this a little bit later, but um, that that becomes patterning in the brain becomes very ingrained. Right. If we practice that enough, that becomes our operating system, right? Kind of like a computer or a phone.
1: Yes, absolutely. So so doing that over the course of time um, tends to have individuals develop and and this is supported oftentimes you know in the culture is unrealistic goals and standards for oneself. And then what the brain does is expect that you should be able to complete these things, and then there's a very high negative arousal to perceived failure because they are unable to
0: be met, right. and so it's this vicious cycle, this loop. Right. Yeah. And so that, you know, I think um, being taken a being sort of taken aback by how how and and the manner in which all of those uh, issues sort of seep down into a lawyer's life over time, we then came to our next stop, as if there wasn't enough already, we come to a profession that has ever decreasing amounts of collegial support because of a lack of time, as well as increasing levels of isolation, which you know is uh, timely and relevant as we live through, especially for the lawyers in New York, uh, we are we are New York people, and so even if you're listening to this podcast elsewhere in New York, we are still in a um, in a shutdown order uh, at the state or with our state, which is only increasing amounts of isolation, and so we know that um, that there is ever decreasing amounts of collegial support in managing problems and traumas and stresses inherent in the profession. And so one of the things we'll talk about during the week is um, the senior lawyers can often play and have, as we've met lawyers during the last month, who are giving their wisdom and the benefit of their vision over time to law students and to junior lawyers who may not have lived through uh, crises in the profession. And just the brilliant and amazing healing and support that, that can offer people, we're seeing the counterbalance to that negative coping and isolation in real time. Even though you and I have been talking about it for two years, we're yeah, at work, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I and and you know, I know, Libby, you and I have certainly seen this over the last several weeks um, with the roundtable. Is that that I think that um, senior lawyers have come to the conclusion that. We need each other. We need to connect, and we're hearing the same thing now from from lawyers who are, you know, through all of this, given the gift of
0: recognizing they need community. Yeah. And, and I don't think you and I could have the number of times that we've talked about this. I don't think we could have predicted. Um, nobody could have the 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 outcome of what um, the sheltering in place has really. Um, caused and and we are um, having amazing conversations about what culture will look like coming out of this, but for the purposes of this intro or introductory podcast, I just am heartened by the fact that the 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 connectedness in the community that we thought would bring would bring ease does we've seen it and um, so you know, my, my heart felt thanks to the lawyers who are reaching their hands out to those who are experiencing a crisis in the profession for the first time. Um, and so with that, we move to, I know the one, uh, the next step on our tour that you and I uh, spend, I think, the majority of our time talking about, or did until recently, is maladaptive perfectionism. and. Yeah. This is this is I'll I'll just tell you what Carrie, what my definition and with Dr. Carey what we what we define it as is the irrational belief that the lawyer the, the uh, lawyer's perfection determines the outcome, which can lead to unrealistic standards and self-criticism. And when I, when I go out when we go out and teach or even when I'm giving presentations and I say maladaptive perfectionism for the first time, the response is astounding. Most most lawyers will say to me, oh my gosh, there's a word for this. <laughs> there's a, this actually exists. Other people experience this? This can't, this, I thought this was me. I thought it was a, a personality defect. And in fact, it's not. And even during the Mindfulness for Lawyers presentation I did yesterday, I I try to give the visual of being able to unzip your superhero suit. Being able to step out of this, as I say, irrational belief that if the more perfect we are, the more we can exact the outcome, and what that does to a human being over time, because it is a completely maladaptive relationship with what you call the gestalt or the overall effect of the world and how it operates. And so, can you speak? Just I, I did my best um, to try to set beautiful. Up. <laughs> that was beautiful,
1: yes, yes, I'm, you know a lot of um, a lot of lawyers um, have perfectionistic thinking before going into the field of law, uh, and it's not an unusual characteristic in in a lot of quite honestly very intelligent, successful people. Um, I think the unique part about this is then you get an individual uh who has a lot of perfectionistic thinking which comes with a lot of kudos to it right it gets yes. you really great grades and you know highly reinforced and you're going to be you know you know successful in your class and then you get into law school and it is so cultivated and that one characteristic cultivated upward and intensifies. Um, so that everyone now is a very smart, intelligent individual with perfectionism and everybody's competing against one another and so on without the counterpart of learning how to try to manage that and shut that off. So it goes straight through the roof, um, you know, the level of intensity. I always say to people with extreme uh, maladaptive perfectionism that, you um, One, they always feel uh, like an imposter. That at some point, someone's going to realize how unperfect I am or how not good at my job I am, etc. You go to bed every night feeling like a failure. Uh, It's very difficult to feel good about something that's been accomplished because you're already on to the next thing. So it never really...
0: Great. I don't think that resonates with anyone who's listening to this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that was my sarcasm. I think, you know, I think um, everything that you're saying uh, in one form or another lawyers will identify with. And what I really like about what we get to talk about is you don't have to lose your um, your high ideals or your brilliant brain or your uh, the things that make us really talented at what we do, it's more about learning the buffer and when to let go so that we don't um, do damage to our insides. Um, and, and that brings us, you know, I think to the final stop, which was after we looked at all of these things, it became very clear um, that the mental health impacts had to be affected. So that we were literally creating a perfect storm between law school training, the culture of law, the types of people who get into law and the reinforcing mechanisms of practice would naturally lead to higher rates of anxiety and depression and substance abuse of any other profession. Right. I mean, it absolutely does not It's not it's uh, it makes sense.
1: Absolutely, they—they, they, um, you know—and and Libby, you and I often talk about um, the differences in in the training for, let's say, a psychologist um, and and law school. So, for psychology, we are trained to analyze everything and to constantly, etc. But a lot of the other half of our training is how to turn it off, because. You can't be a psychologist in a friendship and you can't be a psychologist in a marriage and so on. It doesn't work well. It doesn't bode well for
0: relationships. And I think that there is, um, and and I, <clears throat> and I think that's what brings us to the excitement of, for me, at least, this podcast series, because what we talk about now isn't anymore about what, uh, what isn't working we get an opportunity to talk about what will work and what does work. And so one of the, what we'll be doing in the series is learning how to build support, how to make change where we can, what are those techniques and skills and programs that would help lawyers? Like you just mentioned, what helps psychologists um, unzip their suit at the door and go into the house and not carry those skills and what helps them with, you know, creating, um, you know, neural pathways that are supportive and helpful, and what are the things that we can do uh, to, to, to bring some of those things to law culture, but also respecting law culture and respecting lawyers and respecting how we uniquely process and and um, and operate. So um, there are really four areas that I think we will focus on in varying degrees. The first is, um, you know, making available uh, the ideas of mindfulness and stress reduction and what those programs are and how they operate both from a a legal culture standpoint and also a psychological standpoint in the brain and the science and, you know, some of uh, of those in the medical profession who will talk through that with us, you know, addictions to stress and what that does in the body. And we're also going to talk about how there can be investment in skills development in areas of the topic I love to listen to you talk about the most, which is building resiliency, learning how to manage distress tolerance, yes, or how to build distress tolerance, and also working on our own emotional regulation, right? Yes, yes, and that those are skills that are given to other professions, or even just in your practice, um, given to your clients, um, and making that that known and more available on a larger level. Um, The third is looking at programs that build leadership skills, that help us increase competency, listening, and empowerment, because we know from uh, Larry Krieger's work, which I know we referenced a moment ago, the more that we build competency, the ability to do our job, the ability to feel confident in our job, that we build relatedness, which is the ability to connect with other people, and autonomy, which is I feel capable of doing, practicing law, um, in my own skin is going to relate to greater levels of happiness, right so we 're going to really bring those ideas forward too, and the last and I think the one that is the most important, at least from an overall cultural standpoint, is how do we talk about getting each other to support the time commitment required to facilitate and learn these skills and 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 so Where are we going to be able to get off the superhighway of of practice and the pace of life to actually implement the things, learn and implement the things that we know bring us well-being and happiness? And Carrie, I can't say it enough, the the place in which we find ourselves in this enormous pause and the fact that the podcast is happening right now is sort of this astounding moment, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I think you and I have heard constantly the, the biggest barrier, and of course it's true, you know, to, to self-care and to taking care of emotional and relational needs is I don't have time, I don't have time, I'm so busy, and it's true, um, in this moment uh, we don't like it necessarily that we have this pause, of course, but in that there is opportunity that we all have time now that we didn't have before and we can focus in that time on things that will stress us out and uh, be depressing or things that will drag us down uh, or worrying about the future that we can't control or we can seize the moment, so to speak, and to, to use this opportunity um, more as um, how do I, now that I have this time, how could I
0: utilize this for myself? Mm-hmm. And, I, so, and I completely agree. And I know that everybody listening is in a different circumstance, um, is, is experiencing this very, very differently. But the one thing we can do is work on visioning and walking towards a future and a culture of law um, that supports all of us. And this is a wonderful way to start that conversation. So I want to thank the New York State Bar Association. I want to thank Stacey specifically for all of her support, Stacey Whiteley at the New York State Bar Association for her support. And for those who, uh, who, have, influenced, um, who have influenced and have been able to bring this about, I can't thank everyone enough. And of course, always to Dr. Carrie O'Hara, who is always willing to jump in and take the risks with me and have these types of conversations. I think they're transformative and I think they will make a huge difference. So I want to say thank you too for all your wisdom and time. I am
1: thrilled to be here and happy to be on the journey with you.
0: All right. So thank you so much. Uh, And we will um, bring as much information as we can. Uh, in the future podcasts to start conversation and to invite communication and to build connection. But thank you very much for joining us on our first episode. And we can't wait to keep this going. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.